0: All right, welcome everyone to episode three of the New York Sports Roundup podcast. You got Chris and Jim talking to you about all things New York sports. Uh, we spent the, the first couple episodes talking about the NFL, the Giants and the Jets, and the NFL draft. Tonight we are going to be focusing on basketball and baseball. Uh, and uh, we're, we're fully aware that both of those seasons are on hold. Um, but there's still lots to talk about and lots to discuss. Uh, even though we're, in the, we're still in the midst of coronavirus central and the, the pandemic to end all pandemics. So, the last time we, we, we uh, recorded an episode, Jim, I, um, I said some shit about James Dolan. And, and, and I kind of jokingly said that uh, I hoped he got coronavirus. And then, lo and behold, he got fucking coronavirus. So, so now I'm, I'm kind of feeling bad. Do, you, do you, you feel like it was my fault here that he got coronavirus?
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like you probably caused it with your um, conclusion in the last podcast. But like I said, you know, I think yeah, it's good that he didn't die. So at least you have that on your resume.
0: Yes, yes, I can honestly say that if I caused anyone to contract the coronavirus, he did not die, which I feel like is a feather in my cap. Um, uh, we definitely don't want to kill anybody through this podcast. Let's let's just get that all all out there. Although I have to say that that. You know, given the reaction of of what I saw from Knicks fans on on social media to James Dolan contracting the coronavirus, if if he had died, they probably would have built a statue of me if they felt like I'm the one who caused it. Don't you think that's how Knicks fans feel?
1: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I think uh, you know he's obviously the probably the most hated owner in sports. So. Yes, you would have had a statue built in your in your honor. Yeah, it would have
0: been kinda of one of those mixed emotions things, like caused, you know, a death and a murder through coronavirus, but I have a statue built and have all the Knicks fans love me. I don't know. I mean it's kinda of like a mixed bag, right? But but anyway, um so we're glad that we're glad that didn't happen because that would have that would have been one of those moral dilemmas. Uh big news out of the NBA today. So so they are talking about that they're leaning towards canceling the rest of the nba season completely originally there was some talk about potentially going to vegas quarantining everybody in different hotels and casinos that are all empty of course because vegas is closed and playing some kind of tournament uh playoff structure without fans that seemingly is not going to happen now they're talking about Canceling that, killing the season, uh, asking the players to to take a fifty percent pay cut, and maybe having some kind of like horse tournament or something to try and generate you know a little bit of money for everybody. But I guess I guess my question is: Are you surprised that they're they're sort of ready to call the season and not go this quarantine everybody in Vegas route?
1: No, I'm not really surprised. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're talking about. All the players, coaches, referees, owners, um, you know, staff, medical staff, you're going to have, you know, what happens if somebody you know, injures themselves or are they, they going to go to the Vegas hospital with, with all the you know, COVID-19 patients? I mean, there's just too many issues right now and you can't justify from a PR perspective to the, to, to the audience, you know, to have tests run pretty much every single day on these NBA players. What are they going to do? They're going to take a thousand tests a day for just so they can play, you know, a, a a game in front of, so so people are entertained at home. It just, it doesn't make any sense. I think this it's smart, the way they're trying to do this now with horse uh, NBA has been doing, you know, some like the two K. So the, the video game uh, NBA two K they've been running some tournaments right now. I know Kevin Durant and Patrick Beverly and a few others have been participating in it. Um, golf is starting to do it. They're talking about doing the, uh, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, sort of you know pay-per-view time number two, whatever. But it's it's trying to mitigate the risk, but still put, still putting on some sort of entertainment for the fans. Um, so I think it's a smart move. You know, at the end of the day, it sucks that we probably won't have a playoff to see. Uh, you know, if, if uh, who's the best Los Angeles team, and you know whether Giannis could really be the next really you know big thing and, and carry the Milwaukee Bucks to a championship. But uh, again, there's always next year. Um, and it's better to play safe than sorry at this point.
0: Yeah, I think you're. I think that's right. Especially, you know, about from a risk mitigation standpoint. I mean, what happens if the NBA tried to, you know, force this through and set up some kind of playoff structure, and one of the players, or or even like one of the referees, or one of the camera guys, contracts coronavirus and has serious health ramifications from it or even or even god forbid dies i mean what kind of look is that for the nba right if if they you know if they cancel the season you know they play it safe they they obviously take a revenue hit but you don't risk the sort of catastrophic unfeeling profits over people sort of mantra in pr that could come out if they tried to to you know jerry-rig some kind of some kind of playoffs and and somebody, you know, really suffered a medical uh, incident from it. So I think, from that perspective, it's a it's a good, smart decision. Although I got to tell you, as a fan, you know, I'm I'm disappointed, right? Like I'm I'm sort of feeling like, you know, we're in this coronavirus world, and and what what do guys like you and me do when we're feeling like, you know, cooped up and stressed out, right? We watch sports. And, and sort of on a, on a selfish, emotional level, you know, it would have been fun to see that tournament, to bet on that tournament, and to kind of put this coronavirus bullshit to the side a little bit, wouldn't it?
1: I mean, yeah. You know, you still have – I think they're all trying their hardest right now to think of ways of of entertaining the fans. Um, I know, like, tonight, for instance, we're recording this on uh, April 4th. Um, uh, WrestleMania is going on this weekend still, even though there's no fans in attendance. So I think a lot of, you're going to see a lot of, I think a lot of leagues take some, um, some notes from this to see, look, it doesn't even make sense to play. I mean, right now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, watching anything in in an empty stadium is very awkward. Uh, yeah. it, just, it doesn't have the same feel. It is not as exciting um you kind of hear things like you know it's like all right like this is kind of stupid so it almost takes like you i you forget how much the audience impacts a game uh, until you take it away and it's almost like you're watching a scrimmage and like like i I was even watching some of it tonight and it's like you know i almost feel like i'm watching like i'm going to like my nephew's soccer game you know like where it's like five guys in the audience and it's like all right this is all right but it's not like (laughs) you know it's not like what i what i want to watch on tv you know so yeah, I mean, it sucks. 100%. You're 100% right. I don't know if they would have brought back, you know, the even if they if they start baseball with empty uh, with with an empty stadium. I don't even know if I want to see that. Um that to me would put me to sleep in 2 seconds. And I love baseball. Oh
0: god, that seems boring as fuck.
1: Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things like how do you how do you, you know, how do you do it, you know? And and um yeah. I think football would be cool because at least you get to hear the the sounds. Uh it would be interesting. But you know, I I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is, and and unfortunately, right now, nobody really knows because again, like it just seems like there's always going to be cases. You know, how do you flatten the curve, and and uh, what's the appropriate response for sports teams who are kind of sitting out there on the sidelines, just waiting to get the re- the green the green light from the uh, government?
0: Yeah, I think it, I think, you know it's obviously it's obviously a tough situation, and and I want to come back and talk about talk about uh, you know the Nets and the Knicks and. And sort of looking forward to the future when we'll be out of this situation. But but you mentioned um, WrestleMania, and that kind of threw into my head uh, the UFC and MMA and the big news there, which I I wanted to talk about for a second is the headline fight. Uh, Khabib Ferguson looks like it's off. Khabib is in Russia, and um, you know, sort of taking the the position that he's not going to. Fight Ferguson on April twenty sixth, I think it is as originally planned. While this is going on, lots of other fighters are on the card and are going to show up, um, but not Khabib. And so, what do you think? Are you are you with Khabib that that he you know is making the right decision by pulling out of that fight? I mean, this fucking fight is cursed, right? This is the fifth time that it it didn't go off, but I mean. You know Ferguson's willing to show up and and fight. Are you taking the position of of Khabib's doing the smart thing like the NBA, or do you think he should, you know, fly out of Russia, get on a private jet, and go fight Tony?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. With the th- there's been so many different stories about this thing. Whether Dana has a venue, he doesn't have a venue. I feel like if he had the damn venue, he would have announced it by now. So I don't think he has one yet. Um, you have Tony Ferguson who. Well, he will fight, but maybe he won't fight now. He's back in, but he doesn't know if he can get there because it depends on what the venue is. And then you have Khabib saying, "Well, you know, let me go to Russia to see my family," even though he wasn't going to do that. He was in stay in the states. Then he left, and he now he's in Russia, and he's saying, "Oh, Russia's closed. I can't get out. I, I don't know what's going on. I feel like this is all smokescreen. It's the UFC trying, you know, trying to stay relevant. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what what the right." move here is now what i'll tell you here i think is interesting honestly is from a standpoint of like connor and even like a ferguson and 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 guys like that you know cormier for instance like these these guys are getting a year older they're getting you know as as we count this down it'll be interesting from that perspective because you're going to want to have have these guys fight as soon as you can and if dana you know can't find venues or, or is having trouble i don't know what the response here is because you're talking about you know some of the reports coming out right now is this might this thing might look, you know stick around all year. So what do you do? You cancel UFC events for the year? Do you wait until next year uh, when Conor's a year older? You just lost, you know, who knows, hundreds of millions, do- millions of dollars. ESPN probably won't be happy about it. Uh, and, and even with this fight, this fight was very you know long anticipated. Um, obviously, to your point, you fought five times. You've been waiting for this thing. Different people have pulled out. Uh, it is, yeah, and it, it's 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 crazy the state of the UFC and, and UFC kind of puts it on themselves, right? Dana White's going out to the media and saying, "Well, I, I have a venue, this fight's on, I guarantee the fight's on," you know, and then all of a sudden you don't know, hear from him, and people no. are pulling out left and right, and it's like, well, No, no, right. the fight. The, I'll I'll put my life on this fight's happening." All right, well, both fighters just pulled out. So, like, what like what's going on? You know, so yeah, he doesn't have as much
0: control over all this as he might want everyone to believe because he, he can't control the fighters, he can't control the venues, but but I think you 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 hit on the key issue, which is, you know, they've got television deals, right? Like like UFC has television deals and they have marketing deals. And those deals are are revenue has been paid. Money has been paid based on a certain number of fights happening and and certain ratings for certain fights, right? So like if they're not having the fights, who knows what those contracts say about you know about things like you know force majeure? What happens if the if these events don't go off because of an act of God? But somebody is going to bear a huge financial you know burden here. Not that I feel I feel bad for the UFC, like everybody in the world is. But but Dana, I mean, on the one hand, he's got a business to run, right? Like how much money. Can they stand to lose? It's not the NFL. Before they say, you know, fuck it, Pete. We got we to have the fights. We got to televise it. We got to do something because, you know, I mean, it, it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's, it's sort of a, a tier two kind of sport with a niche following. And, and they have a lot of momentum. And I, I sort of get it from Dana's position of we want to do what's right. But at the same time, like, like we can't destroy our business over this
1: Yeah. And I don't know what the, honestly, I don't, I don't know what the right move is here because I don't know from a legality standpoint, you know, when it comes to a lot of the fighting associations, like can they realistically have a championship fight in the performance center? Um, You know, similar to where they have like the, the uh, you know, the, the, those UFC training um, where they, where they produce the UFC training shows and stuff like that. And, ultimate fighters and things like, can I have that in, in that environment? I know, you know, WrestleMania is going down right now in the WWE performance center, but I don't know, like if they do that, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what that is anyway, but let's just say it's in Vegas. I mean, can they even have the fight there because of the, the athletic commission? Um, so I, I, again, I think it's, yeah. it's whether or not Dana can fight, Dana can find an arena in a safer area and I don't know if that means he has to go to, like, you know, I don't know, Cuba. I, again, I don't know where COVID-19 is not present today. But, you know, wh- where can he realistically have this thing? And where can he get the well, fighters safely? You, no, but
0: why do you need an arena? Well, no. I mean, if you're not going to have fans, you don't need an arena. Like, get a fucking warehouse, right? Get a, get a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. Make it, you know, have the construction guys turn and put a UFC ring in the fucking warehouse. Build some locker rooms. And have it in the middle of nowhere. You don't need to have it in Cowboy Stadium if you're not going to have any fans.
1: Yeah, I, I like I said, I think it might come down to legality. Uh, I I don't know what the, like if, for instance, if he puts if he puts a random like octagon in a, a warehouse in New York, and then broadcasts people fighting each other, not you know non commissioned fighting. I, I don't know how well that would go over with the government. Uh, yeah, especially like would ESPN want to broadcast something like that? So
0: what? Yeah, that's know, true. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I I don't know. Again, tough situation all around. I mean, I guess we have to say if we're taking the position that the NBA is doing the right thing by by canceling the rest of the season and not trying to jerry-rig the playoffs thing, then I guess we have to at least see Khabib's point about not wanting to compete right now. Although, I wish he would have just come out and said, I don't want to compete right now with all this going on, the whole, I can't get out of Russia thing. I'm just going to tell you it's bullshit. If Khabib wants out of Russia, like Khabib's going to get out of Russia, right? Like they're not going to lock that guy down. Um, so I don't believe that for a fucking second. All right. Uh, we're going to move off the UFC and back to basketball. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about the, the New York team. So, all right. Uh, where we are is this season is pretty much fucked, but that's okay. Cause we're all looking forward to next season. And, we're going to start with with the Nets, um, surprisingly, uh, for us, because we're both Knicks fans. But we're going we're gonna to start with the Nets tonight. Um, there's some intriguing shit going on around the Nets, I'll tell you that, right? I think one of the most, you know, sort of humiliating things for the Knicks and, and gets for the Nets in my lifetime was obviously Durant and Kyrie, Having their choice, having max slots available to them in both places, and choosing the nets and there 's been ton of analysis around you know that and why they did that and and you know we could we could talk that to to death, but I think that that is so intriguing to me on so many levels, and this Nets team is so intriguing to me on so many levels i I want to see how. Kyrie and Durant fit and play together. You're talking about a couple of guys who, while undoubtedly talented and probably both in the top 10 or 15 players in the league, um, have not exactly fit in everywhere that they've been. I mean, Durant had some trouble fitting in in Golden State, which is, I mean, kind of surprising the way they run things, but he butted heads with Draymond and And some others, and then you have Kyrie, who you know has this reputation of being a coach killer, and he had trouble fitting in in Cleveland. He butted heads with LeBron. He didn't. He had trouble fitting in in Boston. He didn't really, you know, get along in in their sort of move the ball format. And now these guys are going to play together, and the first thing that happens. Is Kenny Atkinson, who I thought was a pretty good coach, um, you know, gets fired, and that to me would not have happened if Durant and Kyrie were against that move. So I have to believe that they were at minimum okay with it. And there are some reports that that Kyrie was the was the driving force and the one who quote put the knife in Kenny's back. So. Uh, what do you make of that? Like the very first thing that happens is a coach who, who they, they signed knowing he was there and just on a, on a paper record standpoint, um, you know, I, I think his team's achieved or overachieved and, and Durant hasn't even stepped on the court yet and he gets fired. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I know. I agree with you. Um, You know, it's, I think this it comes down to, Durant. And again, it's, it's hard to gauge what's going on. Usually players do get to kind of handpick their coach. You know, we saw with LeBron James when he came in, uh, you had David Blatt there. I, I, you know, he wanted to bring in tyron Lue. Um, you know, you, you have it here too. I think, I think there was an issue with how DeAndre Jordan was, you know, how many minutes he was playing. Um, I think Jared Allen's a better player, honestly, but it is what it is that they, they got, they brought in as a trio they'll play as a trio um, I think it's a mistake. As a Knicks fan, I would take Atkinson in a second as my coach. I think he gets more out of players than a lot of different coaches do. Um, you know, Nick Nurse is a perfect example of a guy that came out of nowhere and really put can put a team together. And you you know, team people that players that come together that really haven't had success by themselves, that come together and form a really good team that won a championship. And now, you know, obviously the season might be canceled, but the Raptors are making a really good run this year too. Um and Atkinson got to the Nets to seventh place where people thought this year was sort of, you know, it is what it is, we'll wait for next year. You know, they were gonna be in the playoff run, and who knows? You know, at, at seventh, uh maybe they get to sixth, and who knows if they can win the a first round matchup or not. So yeah, you know, it's a very, it's very tricky. Um obviously the Nets are looking for next year. They don't and I think whether whether or not the coaches, you know, even it's you and I, um, this team is expected to win next year, it's expected to compete for the championship. So uh, this is Durant, you know what, it's part of the package, right? These superstar guys come into teams and they dictate who they want and the GMs listen and they, cause they don't want to, they don't want to, uh, you know, upset any, any of the core players. So uh, of course, you know, Durant and, and Kyrie get their way and, and they get to Hampton who comes in. Now, as far as future coaches are concerned, I don't know what your thoughts are, but um, it'll be interesting. You know, you're seeing Jason kid's name floating around, which I think is a fucking mistake. Um, you know, you're seeing uh Fizdale pop up again You're seeing some long shots if Popovich Popovich wants to move on, um, or even if they want to pull Krzyzewski out, uh, if he's done with Duke, because it looks like he's kind of getting uh, sick of the college atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of different ways the Nets can go, but I think it's going to be a very hot job uh, in the offseason. So it'll be interesting on who they want to select for that role. Supposedly Kyrie's pushing
0: Tyronn Lue, um, which I I think is obviously a player-friendly choice and a and a guy he's familiar with but but my sense of it is you're almost in a spot now where you have to let Kyrie and Durant basically pick their coach because those guys are going to undermine anybody who they don't like and and don't agree with and it's going to create a toxic environment and so I would be if I were the Nets you you've gone all in you have pushed all your chips in the middle of the table on Kyrie and and Durant being able to make this work, you're completely capped out. And and the pieces you have with with Kyrie Durant and, and DeAndre are, are pretty much gonna be you know the veterans that you have to win with. We'll talk about some of the other pieces in a second, but I would be going to them and being like, Look, I almost don't care who do you, who do you want? As long as it's a like reasonably respectable guy if you're going to be happy with them and you're going to respect them and it's going to keep you, you know, sort of calm and rowing the boat in the right direction. I don't care if it's Tyron Lou or Cindy Lou, who will, we'll fucking go get him and, and put him in. I mean, do you agree with that? Or do you think that you have to, as a checks and balances, have a coach who they're not going to like walk all over?
1: The only problem I see there is that um it's that, right? So, yeah, you, know, you saw what happened with the Cavaliers and B line this this year. Um, it's it's a tricky situation, you, you know. And, and the other problem here is that you have DeAndre Jordan on your team. Uh, the coach needs to realize DeAndre Jordan cannot be out there with five minutes left to go in the game. He is a liability more than an asset. Um, and and unfortunately, I feel like he was the one that kind of. Uh, push this along to Atkinson uh, because they didn't, they didn't respect the culture. So um, it'll be interesting how, you know, how it plays. But uh, honestly, I, I do think it's important that a coach at least understands his rotation. If they, if he can understand the rotation on, you know, look, give, give, give Durant the 35 minutes he wants, give Kyrie the 35 minutes he wants, but everything else needs to needs to kind of gel together. Cause otherwise you're going to have a lot of guys out there that want to take shots that can't necessarily rebound correctly. Um, and it'll be interesting how they how they do schemes with that because, you know, again, uh, it, your, your, your team is only as good as some of its parts, you know, and Durant has shown that he can't win the championship with really good players beside him when he was an Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Kyrie showed he can't win the championship without really good people next to him, like LeBron James. So um, it, whether or not these two guys can win a championship together, it you know, remains to be seen. But I'll be honest with you, Chris. I don't know about what your take is, but I think Russell Westbrook's a better player than Kyrie Irving. Um and that's why I'm not I'm not like jumping up and down and, and looking to buy futures of the Nets when it comes to gambling, because it's like I think they're just getting way overhyped at this point. Um I could yeah. I could see buying this year if there's somehow an NBA playoff you want to buy a Nets future just in case you think Durant can come back this year, but for next year to be way overpriced i just don't see it happening
0: i mean i agree with you about about westbrook the one thing i'll say is westbrook is not necessarily as good a player he is a, a great fit for for 2020 playoff basketball because he doesn't stretch the floor right and he's a he's kind of a, a drive first point guard and he can score in, in volume and that's great, but he needs the ball in his hand and he doesn't stress the floor. And I don't know if that's the best fit in the playoffs. Like, you know, like a guy like Kyrie who can shoot it is, I agree with you. Like, you know, in a one-on-one situation, I take, I take Westbrook. I think if you're looking to put somebody next to Durant, I think Kyrie is almost a, a better fit than, than Westbrook would be. Um, you know, I, I really wonder what happens in this situation with with Dinwiddie and, and even more than that, LaVert, right? Like, LaVert is a great player. He's on the cusp of being a great player. He, you know, he scored 51 points in a game last season. There were games, obviously, where he just put them on their shoulders and willed them to victory. He's, you know, an up-and-coming kid, and you – are you, do you keep him and, and hope that he can mesh with Kyrie and Durant, to alpha alpha-strong personalities? Do you move him and try and acquire another veteran? I mean, I'm worried, honestly. I, I think the Nets are overhyped, too. I don't think it's a championship team, even with Durant coming back at 100%. Because you're right, Kyrie and Durant haven't, haven't proven that they can do it absent – like, perfect situations. Um, but I'm also worried about, like, what happens to the development of Dinwiddie and Lavert with, with them there, right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, a- Atkinson really developed those guys and brought them along, and now you're putting them in a situation with a new coach and two very strong personality shoot, you know,
1: shoot-first
0: guys. Like, are they going to regress?
1: Yeah, I mean they might. Yeah, you're right. So with Dinwiddie, they have to make a decision this year because uh, he has a player option. And I, when I say this year, I mean the 2020 season. Um, he has a player option for 2021, which you would assume he'd decline at 28 years old at that point. Uh, so you know, at 27, you're going to get value out of him. Teams that need a point guard, uh, you know, he he's he's not expensive. I think he costs about like 11 and a half, 12 million dollars to your cap. So I do see them potentially moving him maybe even a first for a veteran, to your point. Um, I, I, when you look at, like, who they need, I think they need shooters. Um, whether or not they want to bring back a guy like Joe Harris, you know, it depends on what he wants. I know he's um, – they have – They can't. Yeah. It's...
0: They're talking about Joe Harris doubling his, his salary potentially. He's making, he's making $7.5 million a year. I mean, they're just capped out. They just can't bring him back. I mean, even if you want $10, $12 million a year, I mean, he He fits. They probably wish they could bring him back, but I don't think they can.
1: Yeah, so if that's the case, they're going to have to look for somebody who who can shoot the three. Um, You know, obviously Durant can, Kyrie can, but you do need guys that like can just do that shoot up three, stand up three, um, and 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 you would hope that it's a pretty good defender. Again, I don't know who would be available. It's kind of early to speculate on that, just because uh, we're not, we have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, as far as if whether or not this year gets played out, and and then obviously talking about the draft too, so I would think in that case they would probably would move Dinwiddie. Um, I the only problem is you know, do they? If they don't, would they put potentially Durant at the four? Let's just say if Harris leaves, right, you could put Durant at the four, maybe even have Lavert at the three, and then you could have Dinwiddie in your starting lineup or use him as that hard role. Where he comes off the bench and then you know slot him into the backcourt with with Kyrie and almost using as as um as uh, you know rotating guards. So because honestly, when you have Dinwiddie, Irving, and Durant on the floor, all three of those guys can bring the ball up the court. So yeah, as far as like point guard is concerned, I'm not. I'm not worried about it for the Nets now. I will tell you, like, I, you know, as far as statistics, the Nets were, I think, the bottom of the league as far as assists, because so they don't move the ball around that well. They do take a lot of shots, first first look shots. When Durant comes back, that'll get even worse. Um, yeah,
0: so, yes, it will. So I think,
1: you know, if when D- Dinwiddie is a good scorer, I think they still need that. They need it. They need if Harris is gone, they need to have somebody that can either come off the bench or or fill that kind of role. So I think Dinwiddie can do that, um, and and you have you'd have a, a nice five. You can run out at any time, and you know we're forgetting about Torian Prince too, who who isn't a, isn't a bad player. He's a good defender. Um, he's a good wing player. You know you have you obviously have DeAndre Jordan, and you have um, uh, Jared Allen that goes back and forth. Uh, you know, so you have I think you have, you have Garrett Allen, at the, uh, Garrett Temple. I'm sorry if they decide to bring him back. So there are good pieces on this team. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting how they how they kind of develop together. To your point. Yeah, I think that I think that Prince is a good player. I do think he's a little
0: bit overpriced. I mean. He he doesn't strike me. I mean, he's making almost the same amount of money as Dinwiddie is, or maybe even more. He's making more money than Dinwiddie is, and and I think I think that's a guy who who has a role on this team. I think he he fits on the team, um, but not at twelve and a half million dollars a year. I, I just don't I just don't see that from him, from him. So. If they can if they can sort of offload that salary, I, I don't think they would be well served. To, I think they would be well served to do that. I completely agree that what they ought to be looking for to put around Tyrene Durant are those sort of 3 and D guys who are going to be able to shoot and play defense. Um, but those guys don't come cheap anymore in today's NBA. And, you know, you look at this team on paper right now and it's like, who plays defense? <laughs> right? I mean, Irvin and Durant are great players and like I said, both top top fifteen guys. Durant probably top five guys in the league, but they're not really known for their defense. I mean, DeAndre's getting up there. Can he really defend the rim anymore? Sure, maybe a little bit, and he rebounds, but but I mean, can they just outscore everyone? I don't know. I mean, I think that it would be they would be well served to put around those guys, some, some, you know, second and third banana role players who are going to play defense. Um, I think that I really think that's what, what they need, but look, the East is weak. There's no getting around it. I mean, you're much better off being in the East than being in the West. And with that team on paper, for the next few years, it's a it's a well seeded playoff team,
1: right? You would think, yeah. And, and going back to Torian Prince, I mean, I think that was that was supposed to be what he was. I know, you know, he was a he's almost like Jay Crowder, right? So when you look at Jay Crowder, a guy that's a good wing defender, he could shoot the three when you need it. Uh, Prince was like that. I think he, you know, he was really he was almost a a, a four hundred three-point percentage shooter. I think he got almost down to 300 this year, so it's obviously a way-off year for him. Whether or not that was because Kyrie was a point guard, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's that's what they wanted out of him. That's probably they probably overpaid him. But you're right. I mean, I think he's overpaid for what he did last year. Uh, but, yeah, the Nets are in a great position. I mean, when you look at what's in the East, obviously the Bucks are the class of the East. Uh, they were all year. You know, Giannis is just a, is a special player. Um, they're They're built – Four, you know, I, I think they're built for the next couple of years. I want to say that that team is um, is pretty uh, well between Middleton and, and Bledsoe. I think they all have contracts to extend out that uh, to next year at least. So they're together. You know, the Toronto Raptors will have to make some choices. Uh, we'll get that to we'll get to that in a second with the mix. But I think they have a player that's coming. That'll be available in 2020 as far as a free agent that I think is interesting. Uh, so that, that'll be an interesting, uh, er, you know, uh, team to look at. And then you had the Boston Celtics, right? That Boston Celtics team started off very cold in the beginning of the year this year and got really on a hot streak. Um, you know, you saw Jason Tatum finally figured out how to become a basketball player. He dominated, um, you know. Uh, at the end of that year, uh, where he, you know, where Kemba was kind of taking over in the beginning. Uh, You have, you know, guys like Marcus Smart, uh, Gordon Hayward was stepping up in some games. So, uh, you know, Jalen Brown is still on the team. So the the Celtics are very interesting too. I I think the, it used to be with LeBron, right? LeBron was the class of the East. um, And because of that, the East was always just whatever team LeBron was on, that was a team coming out. I did think this year would have been interesting as far as the Eastern Conference playoffs. I think these teams, even though, yes, you're right, it is weak because it seems like the cream of the crops in the West. Um, it would have been interesting from a playoff perspective of what would have happened in the East, only because it seemed like there were, it wasn't that top heavy. Or even like if you looked at the sixth team, like the 76ers, you know, you could easily see the 76ers going to the, the, the final um with with the roster they have right that you you could see like uh the the pacers uh you know making a run too so i think i think it would have been interesting from a playoff perspective but yes i do agree that the east is open and if you do have a a team that can gel and come together you could certainly make a run at, at a final for a few years
0: yeah i think i think if the nets can make it and get hot you know you never know what could happen out of that out of there i mean um Although you do know, turning to the New York Knicks, that, that they're probably not going to be in the playoffs anytime soon. And the Knicks <laughs> – I laugh. I just I just shake my head. The poor Knicks. They, they did something this year that was almost in, incredible to me. And I know some people are going to disagree with this. But in my mind in the NBA, you're on – one of two tracks if you're a smart team. You're either trying to be a top seed in the playoffs and making a run at an NBA championship, or you're trying to accumulate cap space and draft capital, and you're really in a rebuilding mode. To me, the thing that you absolutely don't want to be in today's NBA is like a 500-team team. That's that ceiling is the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs in a first round loss, because then your cap space is tied up, you're you're mediocre, you're not getting a good draft pick and, and you're stuck in this kind of like limbo world, of not really knowing what you are and what your goal is. After missing out on Kyrie and Durant, and I think kind of being a little bit humiliated by that experience, because remember, they traded Porzingis for Dennis Smith Jr. and a bag of hot dogs on the theory of we think we're going to clear cap space and get these free agents who obviously they're referring to Durant, Kyrie. But you basically gave away Kristaps for for nothing, right? For cap space, and then you miss out on on the two free agents who your fans really wanted to see. And the Knicks did something, I, I think it's like unbelievable. They, they almost made the decision of, we're not going to go either of those two tracks because we can't go track one and, and be a top playoff seed with the guys who are still available. And we're not going to just tank and rebuild because then we've obviously given up Chris Stapps for nothing what we're gonna do is we're gonna overpay veteran guys on a one year, two year salary type basis, like Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson and Wayne Ellington and Alfred Payton. And we're gonna aim to be the like seventh or eighth seed just to make the playoffs and almost like not be pathetic and not have be like the laughing stock of the NBA. So they try to go that route and it completely blows up. They have to fire Fizdale and they're still the laughing stock of the NBA and they're still pathetic. And I was like, I this was like the most Nick thing ever, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean it would have been interesting on um Durant and Kyrie's decision if the Knicks ended up with the number one overall pick that we thought they were gonna end up with, because you know, does their mind change if Zion was was a Nick? Um I don't know. You know, it's hard to answer that question. I know Kevin Durant, even though he said he wasn't really interested in the Knicks. Um, obviously, with this smoked his fire, and, and there was a lot of rumors about it. Um, he wanted to be in New York. Uh, he wanted to, you know, grow his brand in New York. Uh, so obviously, he's still in New York. It's just for a different team. Yeah, this year was interesting. You know, I, I think Chris, the goal here for the Knicks, um, even you know that you mentioned they whipped on 2019. The goal is 2021, it, and that's what that's where the eye shifted. Um, that's where I, Giannis is going to be the goal. And I understand it's probably not a a um, legitimate goal, but they're going to put their chips in the middle of the table and say, this is the guy we want. That's why they went so hard after Mazzai you know, the president of the Raptors. They wanted him to be the president and GM of the Knicks. They thought that he could bring maybe Giannis into New York, um, but that's the goal, you know, so how they build this team out is going to be with that in mind. Um, and I think, you know, this year, when you when you talked about this year, they there's two things that were glaring, glaring. Number one, they're the worst three point shooter in the league, the three point shooting team in the league. Um, and when Marcus Morris is the best three point shooter on your team, and then you trade him, I mean that is a problem. That's a that's a fucking problem. And you know and, and yeah, this, and,
0: and you have, but this team wasn't designed to. I mean, it was it was like in like. It was an inexplicable roster. I mean, I don't know what it was designed to do other than we're going to load up on veterans and hope we get the A seed. I mean, do you see any other point to it?
1: No. I mean, they said they want to be competitive. I mean, the other thing, the other point I was going to bring up is that they were also the worst free throw shooting team. You know, first the <laughs> RJ Barrett kid, sixty-one percent from the line. Uh, you got to get your ass oh, into the gym. That is just unacceptable. Um, you know, again, yeah, you're right. The, the I think they wanted to bring in guys. Uh, on prove it deals, and see you know Julius Randall I think is proving it. Uh, I think he's the, the 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 shining light on the kind of steaming pile of shit the Knicks are and have been. Um, you know you, you and, and by 2021, the hope here is that RJ Barrett can grow into something. Right. I think the the story on Kevin Knox has been written. I don't think he's anything special. Um, I think the story on Frank Nicotina has been written. I don't think he's anything special. Dennis Smith fell off the face of the earth. You know, you hope that maybe Alfred Payton has something left in the tank and wants to sign for something cheap. I know he's he's back in 2020, um, but it's just there's so many problems that even if they did get Giannis, which would be great, there's nothing else here. You know they would have to bring in somebody else with him, and he doesn't have really any friends in the league that want to come along with him. Now I know people want to play with him, but who? He's not going to. He's not going to be like LeBron, right, and handpick a guy. So you have to build a core that he can come into and succeed. And if and that's if he even comes here, which he probably won't. Um, but then you know what else do you do here besides try to tank every single year, you know, chase the the number one overall pick, and then hope you land a, a top tier guy. And and that was the hope at RJ Barrett. Again, he's very young. Um and, it, and 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 you know he's he's it looked like he was getting better as the year progressed but yeah this team's a mess and there's there's no there's nothing that looks it looks promising you have got to figure they're going to probably bring back Bobby Portis next year even though he's going to get 15 million dollars because like who else are you going to get who who else no way
0: you think they're going to bring back Bobby Portis at 15 million dollars a year
1: i i will, that is fucking who it. will
0: that would be a disaster
1: so here i wanted to bring this guy up to cuz i think the, the points I just brought up, right, that I think that are problems this guy potentially solves. And his name is Fred Van Vliet from the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. 26-year-old point guard. I'm sorry, 26-year-old shooting guard. Um, he is one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the league. He is not afraid to take the shot. You saw it in the championship. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the playoff run last year. You saw it this year. He is, uh, he could dish the ball. He's one of the best free throw shooters. I think he's top 30 in the league in free throw percentage. He can he can address a ton of issues. A guy that's out there for 35 minutes, and you know what? You can sell it to him as hey, kid, like you're gonna be the face of MSG if you come on this team. You're gonna be on a, you know, you're gonna be able to work with RJ Barrett. Um, we're gonna try to bring in some more young talent, you know. But I think that's a guy. Where the Knicks could take a look at. To your point, yeah, maybe we don't bring back Bobby Portis, fifteen million. Maybe we do get, you know, we release uh, Ellington. We maybe release Elfrid because they have. I think they, they could release them and, and lose a million dollars, whatever it is. But you know, yeah, it's a million dollar
0: buyout for for Gibson, Ellington, I think Portis too, and and maybe one other guy. Like like they, it's really one year deals with a million dollar. You know, buy out at the end of it.
1: Yeah. And this could, this could certainly be the year where they say, we'll bring in a guy like Van Fleet. You know, we'll bring in a guy, we'll keep Julius Randle around and then we'll make the decision next year about, you know, the whole, the biggest thing is for 2021, you need to have enough room to offer a maxi on us. It needs to happen. Um, Because if you, if you, if you whiff whatever, but it just needs to be there because what you do too, right? And this is the other, I think benefit of making a big offer to uh, Fred Van Vliet is you drive up the cost of the Raptors. If the Raptors want him back, they have to pay him a lot of money, which takes the Raptors out of the Giannis game because that's what you want, right? If you want Giannis, you want as many teams out as possible. And if the Raptors are out, who, you know, I would think he's probably looking at because of Masai Ujiri, um, then it comes down to Milwaukee and it comes down to the Knicks. And I get it, you know, Milwaukee, um, is in a is in a place right now where they can win championships. But guess what? I mean, you know, you have Chris Middleton it's there. It's fucking but Milwaukee. It's, it's Milwaukee, and, and Bledsoe's not getting <laughs> any younger either. And neither is George. And it's cold in Milwaukee. Yeah, and neither is George Hill. And, get, and and you know, if you want to build your brand, and it seems like Giannis is like he wants to be this like social media personality. Well, there's no better way to yeah. do that than in New York City. So I could certainly see him wanting to come here.
0: I, I could see that too. But here's here's the thing, and like, you know, the hiring of Leon Rose. <laughs> You know, the, the former the former agent is is a sign to me of we're gonna try and sign guys. We're not gonna build through the draft. We're going to create cap space and we're gonna go out and try and sign stars. Because if your goal was to build through the draft and not go that route, I don't know why Leon Rose is the guy that that you hire, right? Like his whole like the whole benefit of that hire of hiring an agent is He's got relationships with players. He can attract talent uh, to MSG. But I come back to, like, among players, you know, the Knicks are toxic, and Dolan is toxic. And as much as, you know, a guy like Giannis, you see a, I think you're exactly right about the social media thing, and I think he wants to build a brand, and I think he's, he's too big in his mind – for a town like Milwaukee, the Knicks have been so bad for so long. And every time Dolan makes the papers, it's fighting with Oakley, fighting with Spike Lee. Like they're not a cool brand anymore. They're kind of like this, this laughing stock team. I don't know that Leon Rose fixes that. And if your strategy is, we're going to go out and sign a bunch of guys and not build through the draft. It's kind of hard to do that with with living in the toxic environment that MSG is right now. And that it's probably going to continue to be as long as Dolan's at the helm. So I don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're Giannis, like, do you, do you risk that? Do you, do you risk your future on a Dolan run team?
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. I mean, um, it's almost like, you know, living on legacy, right? Like, even the Chicago Bulls are sort of starting to do that where they're like, well, we're the Chicago Bulls and nobody really gives a shit. Right. It's like, it's, it's the Lakers because of, of what the Lakers have done. Um, and that's pretty much where it ends as far as where people where uh, guys want to go. You know, I think Miami is also a, a, a place I, I think players like to go because of the weather. Um, but it, it's, yeah, New York does not have this, um, you know, it's not about playing an MSG anymore. It's not about playing under the, you know, the lights of, um, of, of, of the stadium and, and the arena and the famous arena where Patrick Ewing was and Clyde, you know, it's just, it's not there anymore. Um, No, it
0: died. And the way you know that is that Durant and Kyrie are in Brooklyn. Exactly. Like if that was a poll, they wouldn't, they would be in the garden, but they're not like, because and Durant said it, he's like, look, the Knicks haven't been good in forever. They're not, you know, I mean, it's, it's a dysfunctional franchise. And so, you know, we talk about these Giannis dreams, and like, I don't know why he's making a different decision than Durant and Kyrie did. Like, like, why why is he deciding something different?
1: It, exactly. No, you're 100 percent right. It would. It's ultimately going to come down to uh, supporting cast, and that's why I said I think now. I, I think with Rose too, there was a lot of rumors about um, because I think uh, Devin Booker was a good friend of his. Uh, obviously, he was the he was um, the agent for Devin Booker, so there was rumors that. The Phoenix Suns, because they're the Phoenix Suns, they want to blow up their team. Um, Devin Booker was rumored to potentially be on the market. Uh he just I think he's just on extension last year, so he's very expensive. Um, but I think with the Suns, they may just want maybe a first-round pick and a and a rookie, and maybe Kevin Knox gets it done. I don't know. But um, you know, so that's that's a a piece that can potentially come to the Knicks with a Randall that can maybe and an RJ Barrett that can maybe you know, kind of sway a, a guy to, to join them. Like I said, Chris, I mean, I think, I think things are different if Zion Williamson's on this team. Um, because, <laughs> but he's not. But he's not. So <laughs> that's what the Knicks got to live with. Because I think, honestly, I think the Pelicans will be a, a once the Pelicans um, figure out like some salary cap stuff. I don't know if they're going to keep a lot of their players. Like I know Ingram's probably going to reassign, but if, if there is a, a, an area where they can sign a max contract. You're going to see a lot of players want to want to play with them because they know Zion's the future of this league, along with Giannis. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, from from the standpoint of somebody looking at the at the Knicks right now, a star, you know, thinking about coming here. Here's here's what the Knicks have. Right, they have Julius Randle, signed at eighteen half million dollars a year, which while well, I think he's a nice piece. He's a little bit of a ball stopper, and I think that is an overpay. They've got R.J. Barrett, who had a promising first year, but looks like you know there are some issues in his game a little bit. I don't know that I see him developing into a top 20 player in the league. They, they have Nathiel Akina, and I think you're right that the book and the story has been written on him. He is what he is. He's a defensive-minded player who's just not going to score very much. They've got Kevin Knox, who, you know, he's young, right? He, he's, like, one of the youngest players in the league, but his his entrance into the league has not been uh, what anyone expected it to be, right? So, you know, part of that is probably you can't develop in a dysfunctional environment. I kind of would have liked to see what that guy became uh, – And like a, you know, on like the Spurs, um, but he's not there. And then you have Mitchell Robinson. So you've got five players of whom right now, Julius Randle is the best and RJ Barrett is the most promising. Like let's, let's be honest. It's nothing. I mean, it's nothing. You've got nothing. So I hope Leon Rose is worth his salt. Like, I, I don't know. He's not a magician. Um, I think it's unreasonable to expect him to be a magician. I don't know where they go from here because if their goal is to attract players and attract talent and they hired Leon Rose to do that, I just don't think they have the environment and the pieces
1: to get that done. I agree with you. I I don't, yeah, no, they, I don't think they do. Um, and you know, I think Kevin Knox, I think he's a good offensive player. Um, from what i've seen and again like he's not on the court a lot which kind of it, it see this is a lot of stuff that doesn't really make sense to me because it's like even with when marcus morris got traded he still only still like 20 minutes 15 minutes it's like i don't know what the problem here is you would think like like to your point right you, you're not where are you you have 21 wins like, don't you want to see your young guys on the court? Don't you want to develop Let them? Let the kids play. Yeah, it's, I, I never get that. I never want – I never know why they want to throw out guys that like Bobby Portis and, and Ellington.
0: Yeah, like, why am I watching – because they didn't want to be pathetic. But you're – that's exactly – why am I watching Bobby Portis play 20 minutes a game? Like, like what? put fucking <laughs> Kevin Knox in the game and let's see if he sucks. Apparently, he can't play defense. That was what Fizdale said about him. But I'm like, he's not going to learn sitting next to you. Put him on the fucking court. Let him learn to play fucking defense. Like, I don't get that at all, why you're a terrible team and Frank and Kevin aren't playing. Do you get that?
1: No, I don't. And yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of guys who are questionable on defense. I mean, unfortunately, Knox plays a position where um, a lot of small forwards, a lot of power forwards are, are the best in the league, obviously, when you look at um, some of the best players in, in the NBA. But at the same time, the only way to learn is to play to your point. So... Um, you know, he does things well. I think he plays, I think he does play a good offensive game. Um, I think he rebounds well, but this is the whole thing, right. When you look at Ennis Canner, right? Like Ennis Canner uh, is a, is, is a really good offensive player. He has a liability on defense. So he really, he gets you know, relegated to the bench a lot, but is that the best approach? Um, you know, do, don't you want guys that maybe could go out there, hit threes, take threes, you know, hit, hit some shots hit some field goals. Um, because at the end of the day, you're the Knicks. You don't play defense as it is. You haven't played defense since fucking 1996. Like, just, it, like, whatever. Like, you know, go out there, try to score points, try to entertain the fans. And then if you get 10 wins out of it, so be it. If you get 40 wins out of it, so be it. But that should be the goal. It should be out there, you know, uh, develop your players, develop your young guys, and see what you have. That's the only way we can get better. Because otherwise, what are we doing? You know, what is what is, what is right. this team I mean- doing? What is it doing? That that's right.
0: I mean I mean I also seriously, I really felt that way about Dennis Smith Jr., right? Like you, you traded Porzingis, that was a a piece that you wanted back in that trade, right? He was the centerpiece of that trade. And then he comes and like they soured on him so quickly and didn't play him. And I'll be the first one to admit that when they did play him, he didn't look good. He did not play well. Um and he hurt the team. There's no question about that. But he's a young guy who at times showed enough that we almost drafted him. And we traded Christoph's Porzingis for him and some other reasons. Play the guy. If he sucks, let him suck over a large enough sample size that we can all be sure that he sucks. Don't, you know if I'm telling you this right now, if the Knicks get rid of him, which I think they're going to, and he actually becomes something somewhere else, even if it's like a rotation piece, you know, a seventh, eighth guy on a playoff team, I'm going to be like furious because we let him sit on the bench to play these veterans who we know what they are and who aren't even going to be around in the league anymore by the time the Knicks are good we didn't give them a a, you know long leash and a decent run and and see if with more minutes and with the right coaching he could have turned into a useful piece like it absolutely makes no sense from a franchise that continues
1: to make no damn sense yeah it, it I mean honestly it sort of reminds me of Jeremy Lin right like a guy who they that played really well in his the minutes that were given to him, and then for some reason the minutes went away, um, and then he became a really good piece on other teams after he left the Knicks. And we see that we see this time and time again, where a lot of guys who play well, with uh, Gallinari and I know that was the trade for Carmelo, but you know guys like that um, who who are on the Knicks, they're contributors, but they they leave the Knicks and they become you know really good players. I mean. It's if we could have built a team with all those guys, we could have been a perennial playoff team. But instead, we either give up too early or we're trying to chase cap space. or are trying to get out of cap hell or, you know, we're bringing in guys who are, to your point, decent role players, but, you know, not are not going to sway any kind of momentum to the Knicks side. Um, so, yeah, I do want to see what guys like Dennis Smith Jr. have to offer. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they aren't anything, but like we're going to bring in Alfred Payton for a couple of years and play him 30 minutes when, you know, Dennis Smith is is it's a lot girl. younger and maybe has potential like Dennis Smith is 22 years old. You know, like I mean, like come on, guys, like at the end of the day here, you know, you have you have Smith who's 22. You have Mitchell Robinson is 22. You know, Frankie's 21. Knox is 20. And I know I kind of gave up on Frankie and, Nick and Knox, but these are all the guys should be in the court. I mean, look what the Golden State Warriors are doing this here. Right. Like they put every fucking young guy in the court. Because they understood, like, I get they benched, like I get people got injured or whatever, but they didn't like sign or bring in like they didn't play Willie Collie Stein thirty-five minutes a game. They traded him because they wanted to play all the young guys. I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to figure out when these guys come back or when we bring in good players, who are the 20, 21 year old kids who can be that twenty to twenty-five minute player off the bench or potentially even exactly. a starter, you know, potentially even a damn starter. So that's right? what should be happening. Even if you find even if you find
0: a seventh guy in it, it's worth it. But, you know, the attitude of the Knicks reflects the attitude of the owner. It's these knee-jerk, emotional, I'm going to throw Spike Lee out. I'm going to not play Dennis Smith Jr. Like, it's it, it starts at the top, and it's just going to be what it's going to be until, until um, you know, there's an ownership change or hopefully – you know Leon Rose and the new regime change here can get control of it and can at least establish some kind of logical and thoughtful path that this team can get on and commit to and stay on and at least start making some progress. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna turn to baseball. We're gonna take a take a break before we do that. Um, don't go anywhere because we've got tons of baseball stuff to talk about, Mets and the Yankees. Uh and I think there there probably is going to be some baseball this year, right? We don't know when it's going to be, but but there there should be some. Uh and we're all definitely looking forward to that. Um some of us more than others, I I suspect, but uh but actually I think I think both New York teams are are in a pretty decent position. Um you know, as we'll discuss it at, at least going into the season. Uh and and that's a change for, for Mets fans, although although Yankees fans are uh probably used to that. Um so stay with us and uh go get your All right. Welcome back everyone. We're uh talking baseball and uh baseball should have started by now, the spring training, and we should be getting real close to opening day, if not on opening day, but we're not because of the fucking coronavirus. Um, it killed baseball, which is which is very disappointing. Uh, anyway, talking about the Mets and the Yankees, and we're going to start with the Mets here. Um, you know, the Mets are a team who this offseason season got caught up in a scandal that was not of their making, and that is the Astros cheating scandal. It cost the Mets their manager, Carlos Beltran, and I'm sure that everyone who's listening to this podcast has heard all about the Astros cheating scandal, but just by way of recap. Um, the Astros uh, installed the cameras in center field and were using them to steal signs of the opposing teams. When they played in their stadium, they would steal the signs and then bang on a trash can, very high tech when off-speed pitches were coming to alert their batters to the fact that it was an off-speed pitch. Apparently uh Beltrán and Alex Cora were the ringleaders of this this disgusting cheating scheme um and once Beltrán's uh full role in the scandal became known the Mets were were forced to um fire him and and move on and um you know a couple of things that were that were noteworthy about that to my mind was I was surprised from the beginning, the Mets went with Beltran because when Beltran was a Met, like his tenure there was not something that you'd write songs about, right? Like he, he signed, you know, in 05, I think it was. And right before he signed at the 11th hour, his agent, offered him, supposedly, to the Yankees for almost $20 million less than the Mets were willing to give him because he so badly wanted to be a Yankee and not a Met. So that's how his Mets tenure started. And then, uh, I think it was in 2010, a few years into his, his tenure as a Met, he got into a dispute with the club about uh, an injury he had knee surgery without really getting the approval of the team and was a dispute in a dispute with ownership about that and um, he you know the, the Mets were pissed at him he was pissed at the Mets because he didn't think that uh, they were taking his injury seriously enough or doing the right thing by him in terms of medical treatment and then on top of those two things you know, when I think of Carlos Beltran, I think of, of as I'm sure most fan, Mets fans do, strike three taken in perhaps the biggest at-bat uh, in, in the history of the last 20 years of the Mets. Um, so not a lot of like, good karma coming out of the Beltran-Mets relationship. And so that was why I was really surprised that the Mets hired him. Um, originally. What do you what do you think about that? I mean, were you as stunned as I was that he was their choice?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know um, what the thought process was behind that. I know he does. He is a New Yorker. He does live in New York City. He has even before he took the Mets job. Um, he is around the team um, in some capacity. Uh, so, yeah, it was an interesting choice. You know, I, I think a lot of times these teams like to. I think they're seeing success with player managers. They obviously saw it in Houston. They saw it in Boston. Uh, and when I say player manager, I mean like a former player becoming a manager, not obviously an active player. But um, so I think that they probably looked at some guy who was, you know, he had he was clutch in the postseason. I, I think we know why he was so clutch, but he was a he was a clutch guy in the postseason. And um, you know, and I think that's probably what they were looking for: some guy that like his he, the, the players respect him. He's a former player in his own right. And he was a good player. Right. So it's almost like getting, um, you know, like, I don't know. I I can't really think of a guy like on his, on his level, but um, a guy like that to, to join a team that's respected by um, different players. I assume Beltran can speak multiple languages, which resonates a lot with a lot of the players who, you know, who happen to be from different countries on on an MLB team. Um, So there's a lot of positivity, I would say behind Beltran before this, scandal came out Beltran was really known to be a, a level-headed guy kind of down to earth he wasn't like Alex Rodriguez who needs to be in the news every day he was sort of like behind the scenes he had some restaurants in New York City but that's, a, that's about like all you heard from him um, so I thought you know I thought it was an interesting hire from the perspective of kind of out of left field but all right it makes sense because yeah he would be close to the players the Mets sort of need a guy they got to stop with bringing guys in that are 70 you know, out of touch with the game, out of touch with the players. You know, they brought a guy in who's newly retired from the league, but can still communicate effectively. You know, with a lot of different players. So, from that standpoint, I thought it was a good hire. But again, it blew up in their face like like usual. Do you do you blame
0: the the Mets and the Wilpons specifically for not doing their due diligence on the cheating scandal and on? You know Beltron's role in the cheating scandal before they hired him, and I say that because obviously what came out was sufficiently troubling that they moved on from him and they they got rid of him and so you know how much do you do you blame them for? Not doing due diligence on the front end before they hired him.
1: You know, it's 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 a hard question to answer only because you don't know what the league knew. So there's there's rumors that the league always knew the Astros were doing something shady. Which I, you know, it came out earlier uh, last year that the, the the Yankees caught them banging on garbage cans. Um, you know, it there was also a story uh, from Scott Brosius, who used to be an ex-Yankee, is the third base coach of the Seattle Mariners. His son was on Twitter and basically said that the Mariners always knew they were cheaters. The league knows the, the Astros cheat, but they turn a blind eye because they don't want to damage the league. This is very similar uh, to the steroid scandal, obviously, when the league thought it was better that uh, these guys were hitting home runs versus, you know, uh, damning their own players to the, to the media. So um, I think, you know, I hate to be this whole conspiracy theorist, but I feel like the Mets probably knew something that was going on, uh, but decided, you know what? it's been going on for the past couple of years maybe even longer than that uh it's probably not going to come out so we should be safe to hire him now that's one way to look at it the other way is they didn't know anything about it right it was it was a um it was kept in house you know it was kept within a, a certain number of players um i i just you know the whole thing here is i, I don't understand uh how they thought they could get away with it for so long like players wouldn't talk when they left the astros you know uh, it's it's um yeah you would think that the mets would have at least got Whiff of it, and would have done their due diligence. But even if they did, I feel like it's one of those things where you know what? Let's turn a blind eye, and if it blows up, we'll just get rid of him and bring in somebody else.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's the attitude you want to take in Methland, though. I mean, it's it's you know one thing after another with these guys. Like I feel like there are other organizations who could have gotten you know more of a pass on that. But the Willpons' decision making has been called into question so many times for so many different reasons that. I feel like they're kind of on a short leash with, with the fan base to begin with. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know that they're taking the position of if it blows up, we'll deal with it is, is really, um, you know, the right call. The, the other thing that's got Mets fans all kerfluffled recently and for good reason is the fact that the uh, Steve Cohn deal to purchase the Mets fell through. And this is really kind of an interesting story. So he made a $2.6 billion offer to purchase the Mets. And as part of that deal, there was a five-year change of control provision that allowed the Wilpons to remain in control of the team and its decisions for a five-year period. And the deal fell through. Um, It's the second time a deal involving the sale of the Mets fell through. And there are obviously conflicting reports about why that happened. Some people say that Cone at the last minute tried to change the deal and get more control earlier on in the process. Some people say that it was the Wilpons who – try to change the deal at the 11th hour and you know maintain their control for longer what do you make of of that deal falling through and and where does the ownership go from here in terms of looking for a buyer for this club
1: it's i i feel like i mean this is almost like the merry-go-round of the mets you know they've they've there's always been a guy in the background that wants to buy the team. And then for some reason, something happens and it falls through or, you know, it's, it's rumored that the Wilpons don't want to sell. They want to be in control. I don't know if the Wilpons want to sell. I I, I feel like this is always on them. Um, You know, it's, 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 it goes back to the whole Madoff thing and the whole speculation that, um, you know, they, they lost a lot of money with Madoff. And then they're trying to make it up. Um, You know, there was some correlation there, if you notice, because after the Madoff, Um, settlement and and what happened there. I mean, their their payroll dropped significantly. And and they had to take a
0: $200 million loan from Major League Baseball after that. Exactly. I mean,
1: that definitely hurt them. But they still would not sell the team. So there obviously is something there with them that they want this control. They want to be Major League owners. They want to own a sports team. But I feel like they don't have the money to do it or they don't or, you know, so they're trying to get people to come in that say, hey, Give us an infusion of cash, but we're still going to run everything. It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen, guys. Like right. So, I, if there's anything that where people are pulling out, it's to me on the will Wilpon side because you see this all the time with sports teams, right? You saw it like with the Clippers. You see it NBA. It happens a lot, uh, where, where guys are hesitant to sell the team, but then ultimately do because they realize, look, I, we can't do this. The 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 other owners push them out, but the Wilpons just continue to hang on by a thread to this team. And I think they get in their own way. I, I don't think they want to sell this team. I really don't. I, th- I think they, they try to say, "Hey guys, like, look, we're actively looking. Um, we're trying to get some more cash to the met so we can invest and we can spend more money." Oh, but guess what? You know, it wasn't a good fit, or he did, he pulled out the last minute. It's always something with them. So I, yeah, I, I don't think they want to sell. And I, I feel like, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get to the roster, but like when a guy like Alonzo comes due, um, when these guys start, when they got, when they're ready to get paid. That's where things that's where it's like, you know what, maybe we'll we'll look to maybe bring in some other young guys. And you're you're a New York team. You play on Long Island, right? You play in, in the in the five boroughs. Um that you the expectation is you spend money. Uh, I'm sorry. You, you you spend a lot for tickets, you have the corporate sponsorships, you know, you you, you have the stadium, uh your own stadium. Like well, not a lot of teams have that. You you, you know, you, you gotta spend the money. So it really comes down to like you know I, I don't know what else the fans can do at this point, um, but it's it's really on that you know they have to make a decision you know you know Fred is almost dead <laughs> so, you know, I hate to I hate to say it but the guy is like you know he, he's, he's barely they're
0: like he... burning him out onto the fucking field to you know wave to the fans right
1: yeah and and it's and then it's Jeff and I mean you want his son and his son is even more of an idiot and that's the problem you know it's like once once Fred dies and Jeff's running the team it could even get worse so. Yeah, I don't know what the situation is, but I feel like it's this is whole James Dolan thing all over again with the Mets. It's like, it's guys who shouldn't be in a leadership position that want to get their hands on every single thing and want to continue to own the team even though they shouldn't.
0: Well, the, supposedly the the rumors are that the Mets don't want to sell because Jeff Wilpon, you know, wouldn't know what to do with himself if he if he didn't work for the Mets. Like, he, he really... Um, you know, kind of wanted the team to be his, his future. And it's their minority partners who are pushing them to sell for all of the reasons that you would expect minority partners to push majority partner to sell the team, which is, you know, mismanagement, lack of funding, lack of financing. But I think that the, that the, that the Wilpons don't want to sell. I think given, you know, an in a huge influx of cash and given their, you know, they're, they're being Kings of the world, they wouldn't sell. Um, and it's just really a financial, you know, hardship that's driving this decision. And, and it's, you know, it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of anything. It's hard to let go of a relationship. It's gotta be real hard to let go of the sports team when, when it's been your life for the last 20 years. And I get that, but, um, you know then then take the team off the market right don't don't continue to get right up to the brink of these transactions and and pull back from them because you know you you're you're right they that you know if this was the first time it happened, you'd be like, "Maybe it's them, maybe it's the purchaser, but this is like the second or third time that they had a deal fall through like at a late stage, you're like it's them, you know. Um, yeah, and,
1: and not only that, but you have like Alex Rodriguez, for instance, comes out. Then there's there's a, a story that he's trying to put this team together. All of a sudden, then he disappears because he looked into it. It's like, so you know damn well, uh, the ponds are basically saying, "Hey guys, like, yeah, you could you could certainly buy the team. We may even give you majority ownership of the team. Oh, but we're going to retain the decision making. Like that, No, there's no owner worth their salt, or no financier worth their salt that would ever agree to something like that." Like, would you ever agree to own a business? Like, actually, well, yeah, we're going to be a majority owner of a business. Oh, but by the way, we're going to leave on the the original owner to make all the decisions and run the entire company for us. Yeah, how does it, that make any sense? No, they have <laughs>
0: completely fucked it up over the past few years. I mean, it's not like they're, they're killing it in terms of their decision making. So it's like, give us $2.6 billion and let us, like, manage it like a fantasy baseball team for the next five years. Like... If I give you $2.6 billion, you're not going to have control of my money for five years. That's a long time. Um, so I, I, completely, I completely get it. Uh, I hope that they figure it out because we shouldn't have two teams, the Mets and the Knicks, which is fucking terrible ownership. So get it together and, and sell the team and, and move on, Will Ponts. move on. Um, In terms of looking at the roster, I have to say that, you know, as a long-suffering Mets fan, I am completely devastated by the Noah Syndergaard news, right? He is going to have Tommy John surgery. He's out for at least a year. And going into the season, I was feeling really good about this team and really good about this roster, you look at the pitching staff, it was one of the deepest, most talented pitching staff staffs that we've had in a long time. Um de Grom and Cindergard. you had you had two legitimate ace pitchers leading it. Um Marcus stroman and Matt and uh Porcello and some of these depth signings that they they put together it was a really good pitching staff. You look at the lineup with Alonzo in the middle of it. Um, you know, Cano could have bounce back year. I don't know. I was feeling really optimistic about the team, um, even the bullpen. You know, I I figured to myself, there's got to be some kind of revert to the mean here. Diaz and Familia. Can't possibly be as bad as they were last year. They practically those two single handedly cost the Mets, you know, probably a ninety five win season and a playoff berth, right? I mean, they they gave up ten games or more. So I'm I'm going into the season. I'm feeling great. I'm like we're gonna be good. I'm optimistic. And then Cindergard goes down and has to have Tommy John surgery. And I'm just, I'm just crushed. Like I don't even know what to do with myself because that was like one of the t- three guys, along with Degrom and Alonso, that you just could not lose. And now he's done for the year. I mean, tell me something. Make me tell me something. And make me optimistic.
1: No, I mean you're right. Like with with Syndergaard, um, I I was reading up a lot about that, and I guess the whole consensus there is basically he should have ditched his slider and two-seamer by now, but he continued to use it. And I guess, you know, this is stuff we don't know, right? being outside the game. But as you use, as you try to throw a slider and, and a two-seamer 90 plus miles per hour and then use that 30% of your pitches, it's going to destroy your elbow. Um, you know, there, there's there's a story about Garrett Cole ditching it when he went for the Pirates to the Astros. He ditched his sinker because he knew and he actually got told that a guy like if you want to be in this league long enough, you got to get rid of this pitch. It's going to kill your arm. And he did, and he's had success. Um, so I think looking at just Syndergaard itself, he, he will successfully come back from Tommy John, but he has to reinvent himself. And what I, what I mean by that, he's, he's six foot six. He can still throw a fastball. He can still throw a change up, um, but he needs, to, he needs to rely on those pitches more. Uh, he can still throw with speed, you know, but he needs to get more accuracy. Um, but I think he, you know, as a, as a as a um, as a dominant pitcher, how he is, and, and the fact that he could throw fast and he could throw hard, that's still going to be there. It's just a lot of the times with Tommy John, your breaking pitch has to go away. Um, so it'll be interesting how he reinvents himself there. But you know, it has to happen. Otherwise, it'll he'll continue to go through this uh, for the rest of his career. So um, you know, like I said, who knows? If this is a shortened season, or if it's not a season at all, then maybe the Mets dodge a bullet um i don't know you know and if we get to that point it'll be interesting how we get to contracts and, and whether or not a year counts if they miss the full season we'll, we'll get to that but no i you know when you, when you look at the mets roster up and down i still think it's promising um you know jacob de Gram, i think is still one of the best pitchers pitchers in baseball uh you know you have marcus stroman who you know uh, full disclosure i'm a yankee fan so i've seen this guy the blue jays a lot of times and he's a good pitcher uh, a, a lot of teams wanted him last year you know it was, it was actually a a um it came out of nowhere that the the Mets traded for him, honestly. So it's uh, I think he's a really good pitcher. You know, you have obviously Matt's, I really like a guy. You know, a lefty who is um, pitches a you know what probably what mid three ERA. Usually is a, is a, is a gamer, a five six inning guy, but that's all you really need to be now. Uh, especially you know now that the teams are relying more on the bullpen, Matt's is fine. And then you guys got like you know Michael Walker, who's uh, Mets try to Mets do a lot do do a good job finding guys like this who you know struggle with the Cardinals and, and guys like that and all of a sudden comes in the Mets and are a, are a good pitcher. So um and, and Rick Porchilla who who could be the same thing. So um I think the I think their their rotation is fine. I think their bullpen is good as long as Edwin Diaz can bounce bounce back a little bit from his struggles. I think Batanzas was a good signing. Um, again as a as a Yankee I've seen this guy uh a setup man he should be really good. So uh, native familiar as well. So their bullpen, I think is from top to bottom is good, but honestly, you know, their, their lineup, their are starting, uh, they're starting eight uh, really came out of nowhere. You know, this is, this, this was really built really well. Uh, you have guys obviously like Pete Alonzo who blossomed last year. You know, he's basically the talk of the town. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, who's a good player, you know, a guy who could steal bases, hit home runs. Uh, Michael Conforto is finally coming into his own. You know, J.D. Davis, who's a good player, hits for average. You have Jeff McNeil, who, as a utility guy last year, you know, played really well. And, and now, I guess, is taking over third base for the team. You know, yeah, I McNeil's mean, yeah.
0: great. I mean, they moved him around all over the place. But, like, he does everything well.
1: Yeah. And, and and you got Cano, who I know he's older at this point. But a guy can still put some some intimidation into a lineup. I mean, he's a lefty. You know, he he still could hit the short porch on any field. Uh, so, I mean, I think the team is really good. I think you have a good base. The problem is, is the division, right? The division is extremely tough. Yeah, uh, You have a lot of good teams, a lot of good, you know, you have the Nationals, which is coming off a championship. Um, so it, it'll be interesting how and you have the Braves, who I think are, are much improved. Um, the Phillies, who should be much improved. So it'll be interesting as far as that division. But as far as the Mets, I think there's a, I think from the future, even if Syndergaard doesn't come back this year and the Mets play a shortened season, I still think there's promise and hope. And uh, honestly, as a Mets fan, you're, if you're looking for optimism, the optimism would be a shortened season because we've seen well, teams like you look at the Royals, for instance, who could come out of the gate and have you know, 20 games over 500 by the all-star break. Right. That can easily happen for the Mets. The Mets have a team that could string wins together and play well for, you know, a short half of the year. And all of a sudden, you know, they win the division or they're in the wild card and, and they're making a run in the playoffs. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to see this year, but from a lineups perspective, the Mets are really well built.
0: Yeah, I think I think they are a a well built team and I think there is reason for optimism. It's just you know, Syndergaard is a is a devastating blow, right? I mean I mean you think about how, how much optimism there is and how good the team can be. And and then you think about what their ceiling would be with him. And, you know, he can be a a low three ERA guy who, you know, I mean you run into a short playoff series and you're thrown out the Grom, Syndergaard and Stroman. Like that's, that's all right. It really is. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a bad loss, but hopefully uh, the fact that the Mets went out and, and signed a bunch of pitching depth will help them out. I mean, I don't obviously think they were planning on using that depth, this early, i.e. before the season even started. Um, but, you know, it was a luxury that we had that that maybe will help us uh, sustain the loss of an obviously great pitcher at this point in the season. And look, injuries are part of the game. That's just the, the way it is. You got to be mentally tough and you, you got to have a team that, can weather that, or in Mets speak, you got to believe. And, uh, you know, until until we see reason not to, we're going to maintain our optimism as we go into this year. Um, Now, if you're a Yankee fan, you have plenty of reason to be optimistic because your team currently has by far the highest payroll in baseball, almost a quarter of a billion dollars, sunk into the team 200 and I think 38 million dollars in payroll which is just astounding um and in the one hole that you had a ace pitcher uh you went out and signed Garrett Cole uh nine years 324 million dollars which is just a shit ton of money I mean there are legitimate lottery winners who don't take home or or even on the top line, see $324 million. Now, nine years. The guy is 29 years old, so that's going to put him at 38 years old before this contract runs out. And I got to tell you, I'm a Mets fan. I don't have a dog in this fight, but I cannot believe that contract is going to age well. That said, do you still like the sign
1: yeah, I mean you have to. Um, you know, he's it's always funny to your point. I, I love how the, the news came out and said, Oh well, Garrett Cole wanted to be a Yankee. He always wanted to be a Yankee, that's why he took the deal. Yeah, no, he took the fucking deal it was nine years, three hundred plus million dollars. That's why he took it. But um, yeah, I mean you know, this was the year for the Yankees, honestly. Uh they they signed him because they knew that they had a short window. Um and when I say short window, there's gonna be a lot of guys coming up for a lot of money, you know. What what they want to do with with signing guys, um, keeping guys on, is going to be a question. But the Yankees are built to win now, so I don't mind the deal. I know we got burned before with guys like Jacoby Ellsbury, um, you know, guys like Carl Pavano, understood. But Cole is a legitimate ace. Um, he you know he obviously he wasn't he was not uh, benefiting from the cheating scandal on the Astros. He's actually a really good pitcher. Um, and it was needed. And, and we're, you know, the Yankees are dealing with the same situation the Mets are dealing with, right? With you had, you had um Center guard. We had Severino. I mean, Severino to us was going to be the ace of the future for the Yankees. The guy is a hard throwing pitcher, um, a strikeout artist. You know, he showed it in the, in the postseason uh, in, in multiple years. He showed it during the season and then he had to go for Tommy John. Um, you know, so it's it's unfortunate, but it's it was good timing to bring Cole on because of that. You have Tanaka again, who's getting up there in age. He, he only has a few uh minutes left of his career, and then I think he's gone. You know, so like this team is built to win. Uh Chapman throws hard as a lefty, who knows how much longer he has on his hit his arm. Um, and then when you look down at the roster, I mean you guys, you know, it's a good team. Uh, it it's they're built to win. Uh, you know, you have Stanton, who we, there was some good news coming out of strength spring training. That he was actually going to be ready for the year to start. Um, so at least you have you would have had that. You know, you would have had um, obviously Judge Healthy. Again, how that plays out during the year was meant to be seen. But, um, you know, Torres is probably one of the best shortstops right now in Major League Baseball. DJ LeMahieu is probably might be the best second baseman in Major League bas- Baseball. Um, you know, you have Gary Sanchez, who's one of the most probably one of the better power hitters in baseball. So you're right. I mean, they spent a lot of money, but this team uh, has probably, you know, arguably some of the best players in baseball on their team. And and, and I think there was a collision course this year, um, a, you know, between the Yankees and Dodgers. Uh, and again, I understand that's taking everything out of the equation and looking at, th- at things on paper. But that's all we can do now because there's no baseball. So right. looking at paper, you know, it, it, the Yankees and Dodgers were on a collision course. Those are the two teams that spend the most money, but their staffs were impressive. I guess what the Dodgers did us a favor—they stripped the Red Sox of all their damn good players. You know, Mookie Betts is not in the AFC East anymore. I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, the East, AL East, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking football, AL East. So like. It's open season for the Yankees. They could have dominated this division, rested guys during the end of the year. Um, you know, there's really who would challenge the Yankees at this point. You know, the the, the Rays aren't challenging them. They're they, they're uh, you know they're always hanging around, but they're never really challenging the division. The Red Sox will drop out, so it would have been the year uh, I, I I would have enjoyed a Yankees Dodgers World Series if it came to that. Uh, but we'll see what happens this year. But yeah, it's it's. I think your news about Syndergaard was devastating. My the news about the season being potentially canceled is devastating for me because uh, since we got screwed twice by the Astros, uh, you know, in the playoffs because of the cheating scandal, uh, you know, and honestly, at a World Series because both years we were built just like the Astros were, probably better. Uh, so that it was you know it, to, just to be screwed this year by the damn coronavirus, uh, it, it it hurts. You know, it definitely hurts. And and yeah, I mean like I said, and, and you bring up a good point, right? Nine years, nine years is a long time. You can't, it's not like we could, these guys are robots. We can't now put Garrett Cole, I can't ice him. I can't put him in a, in a tube and save, save him at 29 years old. So if the season gets canceled this year, what happens? You know, we no. lost a year, right? So yeah, now, he's, lost now he's 30. So he's we 30. just lost a year and potentially we we've just lost like a guy like Michael Andujar, who we have to now give a lot of money to, even though he didn't play this year. You know, so that will be interesting, too, from from your standpoint, I, I you know, I, I like to know what your thoughts are about what happens if baseball doesn't go this year and these guys can't practice, they can't get into a facility, a training facility, they can't get into a gym. You know, what happens? Like, what, what do you do with guaranteed contracts in baseball um, when when you lose a full year? You know, I mean, I, it's, it's going to be. Uh, a weird, a really weird decision. By w- w- what happens as far as a, do the contracts tick which I assume they do, but you know, do the players will the players get paid? Uh, will the union step in? It, it'll be interesting how this unravels over the next few months.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, I mean, you're seeing that now with the NBA, like they are apparently force majeure. And and by the way, for those of you non contract geeks out there, force majeure clause in a contract means an act of God. So in the NBA contracts, there are some force majeure provisions allegedly that that say that if the season is canceled because of an act of God or if the teams can't play because of an act of God, the, the teams in the league have the right to adjust the contracts accordingly. But those types of provisions are negotiated on a league-by-league league and contract-by-contract contract basis. And so there has not been a lot of news and a lot of clarity surrounding exactly what you're talking about, which is do major league baseball contracts have those provisions and how is this all going to play out from the standpoint of what happens if the season is shortened or what happens if, if the season is canceled, who gets paid, how much do they get paid and does a year of quote unquote service time accrue uh, in the event that the season is is shortened and, and does it depend on how much the season is shortened by. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the, the contracts. I mean, I look at the Yankees as an outsider, and what I see is a really long and deep lineup. I mean, y- you talk about, you know, from one – through nine a lineup that anybody could could hit it out of right anybody can go yard anybody can hit a home run um, plus you have two boppers if they're healthy like judge and Stanton in the middle of the lineup like you you're gonna score a bunch of runs um, that's just something that's gonna happen I look at the bullpen and I think to myself okay it's a bullpen that's good enough to win a championship with the lineup that you have. Honestly, my one question is, is the starting pitching. I mean, even with, with Garrett Cole, you know, I look at the starters and, you know, Tanaka is a veteran, but he had a mid four ERA last year. Um, you know, and then I'm looking at J.A. Happ and Jordan Montgomery. I mean, okay, but they're not guys who scare me in a playoff series. And and Cole can't pitch them, you know, every game. So, do you think that, that even with Cole, are you comfortable that they have the starting pitching to get it done?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's so, again, I, I think the, the thought process going into this year was that you were going to have Cole, you were going to have Tanaka, and you were going to have Severino. Um, and, and those three, we, we could have, you know, kind of did a rotation. The playoffs, I think the playoffs, you know, and, and again, this is Yankee thought, but I think the playoffs were pretty much a foregone conclusion, um, yeah. you know, looking at the division. So it wasn't really important who you were throwing out there on every fifth, sixth day. It was more, you know, how can we like uh, make this? Re- and, and again, I think it would have been addressed to the trade deadline, but I wasn't that concerned about the starting roster Uh, starting pitching because when you looked at last year what they did they were throwing out a lot of guys and they were actually doing you know a lot of guys for one inning uh in in some cases but they were they were most of their guys like cc sabathia were if they hit five innings pitched, it was a great start um you know so did it burn out the bullpen yes but at the end of the day you know um there's so many different arms you can put, put in now and and so many different things you can do with your rotation to give it rest and, and things like that where you can live with it. So I wasn't too concerned, um, but I, I, you know, when, when you look at something like J.A. Happ, for instance, and Paxton and, you know, the guys like that, you would you would hope that one or two. Now, Paxton did play, did pitch pretty well last year, but you would hope J.A. Happ would at least have a bounce back here this year um you know Domingo German played pretty well but I know he's going through some legal battles and stuff so who knows if he would have been available but um but yeah like those are the guys you would hope that would step up you want half you want Paxton to step up if you have to throw out a guy like Montgomery or a guy like um you know like if they could find somebody in, in the minor leagues uh like I know Lasaga was down there last year that's fine um you know if if it goes four innings that's fine like it, it's the Yankees were never a team that really care about getting guys wins. You know, if it has to come down to a guy like Holder or a guy like Adavino coming out or, or Luis Sessa, that's what we were doing last year. Yeah, you yeah, shoot, and
0: that, yeah but the problem is that, that kind of shit works in the regular season. And like you said, they're going to make the playoffs, right? Like, I, I fully agree with you that that they can piece and cobble it together in the regular season. But in a seven-game series, you know, you have one bad game from Tanaka – And you might lose that series unless somebody gets hot, right? Like, so, so to me, if, if I am the Yankees, I am going into the season thinking at the trade deadline, look, I've already spent $234 million, right? So salary is not going to be an issue. We're all in, we're going to try and win the world series. We have the lineup to do it at the trade deadline. I'm getting myself another starting pitcher. That's what I'm doing. And um, you know, I, I think there will be starting pitchers available at the trade deadline as there always are, assuming again that we have a season that it's a normal season that everything plays out according to plan. Um, but that's that's where I'm focused at at the trade deadline, right? Isn't that what you're thinking?
1: Oh, 100%. And I mean, honestly, like, you know, looking at um, next year and, and who would be the free agents, I mean. The Yankees could have certainly been in the market. depending on how the Indians are doing. Like a guy like Trevor Bauer, you know, you have a guy like Mike Miner, um, you know, who on the Texas Rangers who, who was in Cy Young consideration last year, who would have been available this year on the trade deadline because you have to assume the Texas Rangers would not have been in contention this year. Um, and again, like depending on how the Mets do, Marcus Strowman's out there too. And and again, I know Yankees Mets trades are very rare, uh, but he would have been a guy out there too that maybe the Mets are trying to get something for. So, you know, and this is how you this is how the Yankees have to look at it. Right next year, Tanaka will be a free agent. You know, how do you address that? Do you bring him back? He's getting worse. Uh, you know, he, he did pitch better as the year went on, but it's hard to trust that arm. He's had issues with the arm before. You know, you, so you almost can't. Uh, Paxson will also be a free agent. Do you want to give him a bunch of money for a mediocre performance? You know, who knows if Severino's going to be ready? Uh, and, and after that, you, you don't really have anybody. So I think if the Yankees were going to trade for somebody, and let's just say they, they have a lot of – so their farm system is still good. Uh, Even though they called up a lot of these guys that you see today, it's still pretty good. And, and, you know, they have guys like Clint Frazier who teams want. It's just we haven't gotten a good enough offer yet to offload him. But, you know, you just saw his name pop up with a few others um, and and maybe try to get a guy guy like Trevor Bauer and then try to sign Trevor Bauer in the offseason or potentially even during the season where we could have got him uh, maybe at a a Yankee discount, quote unquote. But, yes, 100 percent in the trade deadline, they would have gotten somebody. Uh, I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, and maybe even honestly, maybe even earlier than that, maybe it has to be May or something like that. Just set the rotation not to burn out arms. Um, but yeah, it, it was it's vital. It was vital because guess what? You can't. I, I doubt guys like German and Paxson, uh will, will win like 40 of your games this year. I mean, it's it's it, it's rare. Right. And and maybe Cole would win 15 to 20. That's what you're paying him to do. But to your point, after that, there's a large drop off and they would need to address it yeah i'm I'm definitely more worried
0: about it in a in a playoff series than I am in the regular season and and look i mean we'll we'll see what happens i mean we're we're sort of getting a little ahead of ourselves in terms of seeing is there going to be a season at all and we we certainly hope uh that there is even if even if it's not the full season that we've all come to um expect and and in a lot of ways we'll rely on um Thank you very much for checking out our, our podcast tonight. We are, we are definitely going to be back next week. We've, we've got a lot more to talk about in terms of the NFL draft coming up, um, which apparently is going to go forward as scheduled, despite the fact that some teams want to put it off. Roger Dell is not having it. Um, it's been canceled in Vegas, as we've already talked about. Jim and I lost our Vegas trip and are, and are still to this day mourning the loss of it. Um, But the draft is apparently going to go forward. Uh, The saints are going to be making their picks from a brewery apparently. And, and who knows where the rest of the teams are going to be making their picks from remotely, but we're excited about the NFL draft. We hope that we're still going to be able to bet on the NFL draft, despite not being in Vegas. And so there's a, there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about there. Plus, I expect that in the next few weeks, at least, we'll get some clarity about what's going to happen with the MLB season. Um, Certainly, I expect the NBA season is going to be canceled, but maybe there'll be some horse games that we can talk about and dissect for you. Uh, (laughs) as much as you can dissect a a horse game Um, but anyway thank you very much for listening and we will certainly catch you next time please remember to subscribe so that you'll get notice of when our next episode is available take care and stay safe out there